All right. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. Awesome singing today and uh, being able to be reminded. Uh, I just loved it. We sing about our God and he's able to carry us. And then Jesus is enough for me. And uh, I've been listening to that song for quite a while because I knew we were going to be learning it together. Uh, and then how just important that was that we would embrace that as a church family. And so I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. We're in the middle of a series, as Mark said, on outrageous stuff that Jesus said. And uh, as he said, it's been eye-opening. I've actually, in this series, getting to do two messages uh, in places I've never taught from before. Today is one of them. Uh, The first week was another one. So it's been uh, really thrilling for me to dig into some stuff that I've never really, you know, taught on before. And today has turned out to be way more challenging than I would have thought uh, when I started. I'm so eager to do it, and I know God guided this way, but it turned out to be way more challenging. So just kind of, you know, give you some heads up in case this is your first week here. just want you to be able to feel like you can join in with this as well. Jesus is the most influential teacher who ever lived. His words, his teachings, his life, they have shaped individuals, communities, governments, uh, education, literature, philosophy, and ethics. So Jesus' teachings has shaped much of our world. And as we've been saying that in our day, people make outrageous statements or do outrageous things in order to bring attention to themselves. But Jesus wasn't doing that. In fact, we learned the first week that the statement he made the first week actually caused people to leave uh, and not follow him uh, as they had been. Jesus said outrageous things because he was wanting to make a point. He was wanting to shake people up, the systems, to make them come at things a different way. He wanted to define what it was that God wanted and what it was like to live in his kingdom. And he really wanted to clarify who he was. And so he did that in his teachings and in the statements that he made. Jesus came and he was teaching a completely different way of living than the people were living in his day, especially those who were following God, a completely different value system or ethic, if you want to use that term. His teachings seem difficult. They seem hard, and yet they're actually showing, and this is what Dave mentioned earlier about the hard sayings, and they're showing that it's actually possible to live the life that God's called us to live in his kingdom when we embrace Jesus, when we know that he's the source of truth. And so he gives us a vision is what he's doing. It's a vision of who we can become, and he does it by talking about some outrageous statements. That first week, is we talked about, it was eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, up until that moment, before Jesus made that statement, he had throngs of followers who were coming around him, and they were looking for him to perform the next miracle so that they could have their bellies filled, as it turned out to be, because he said that he was, he'd actually fed 5,000 previously to that statement. But after that statement, well, the throngs left, and they turned away because they said, this is a hard statement to understand, And they said, how can anyone accept it, Jesus? How can anyone receive it? How can anyone bring it in? And they left. And then Jesus went alone with his 12, the closest disciples or the apostles that we call them today. And he said to them, he says, does this offend you? What I've said, does it offend you? And what he's meaning by that is, is it a stumbling block that you're going to allow to get in the way from hearing what it is that I'm saying 
And as we said that day, the whole purpose of that statement was to encourage us to feed constantly on Jesus. Not to eat him physically, but to feed on him because he's the source of all of our sustenance and all of our strength. And then Jesus said to those same disciples, okay, if you think it's hard, you do want to leave as well and turn away as the rest of these people are who just were looking for a miracle to have their bellies filled. And Peter, as we've talked about in a moment, inspiration, and I would say tremendous courage. He said, to whom would we go? There is no one else who has the words of life. Jesus has the words of life if we will listen to them, if we will allow them to sink and soak in, and if we will then do what it is that he's called us to do. That statement about the words of life, it was true when it was uttered by Peter, and it's just as true for us today. Now, today we're going to come to another statement that's really hard to understand, and I would say it's also hard to do. Now, this statement has caused confusion. I'm going to say from the moment Jesus spoke it, and it's still causing confusion today. It's one I'm sure that you've heard of. Uh, It's one that I'm sure that many of you have actually worried over, over this statement. It's a statement that includes what we have come to call the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin. Now, this statement made by Jesus, it creates problems for many people because when we start talking about the unforgivable sin, what many people start doing, have I done it? (laughs) Am I guilty? Am I guilty of doing this? How many of you ever worried at some point or thought about, have you committed the unforgivable sin? Many of you, some of you are feeling it right now. You're like, ooh, you're guilty now. (laughs) Well, today what we want to do is we want to talk about this outrageous statement concerning The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and why Jesus considered that unforgivable, or why he considered it the unforgivable sin. So I just want to kind of clear us up as we go through this, clear up a few things before we get started today. Some of you have had conversations, and you've had uh, consternation inside because you're not sure what Jesus meant when he said the unforgivable sin. Well, I've done some research on this, and I want to clear it up today. And uh, are you ready? The unforgivable sin is created, committed by churches who put messages on their street signs out front. And I just want to show you a few, just so you can see right here, signs like this. I'd say that's unforgivable, wouldn't you? Let's look at another one, okay? There you go. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay, here we go. Uh, That one's unforgivable, too, actually. You know, here we go. Here's here's one. Here we go. Okay, drop it like it's hot. Some of these churches need to give up. Okay, here we go. Oh, man, they were really digging low for that one. Okay, let's look at another one. Arg, matey. (laughs) Oh, that's just so fun. But you know what? I'm just kidding, okay? That's not the unforgivable sin. Just so you you got that clear, okay? That's That's not the unforgivable sin. Now, some churches actually, they should stop those signs. That's all I need to say, okay? Because I don't think it's doing any good at all uh, that they do that. 
seriously, though. What was Jesus talking about when he said that there's a sin that's beyond forgiveness? And I just want to ask, are you guilty of committing it? Are you guilty of committing it? Well, some people would say the unforgivable sin is adultery. Because breaking the marriage covenant, that's what adultery is, breaking the marriage covenant by sinning with the body. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if I sin in adultery, that must be the unforgivable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some say it's murder. And they would say that it's the killing of another human being because God made all creates all human beings. And he designed, the Bible says, from the day they would be conceived until the day that they would die, he designed that baby, that person, for life, for life. And to take that life is to step in and play God in some way. Some say it's suicide, the taking of one's own life. Well, let me just say this about those three. The unforgivable sin is not adultery. Adultery is a sin, but it's not the unforgivable sin because adultery is covered under the blood of the cross. The unforgivable sin is not murder. And murder is a sin, but murder is also covered under the blood of the cross. The unforgivable sin is not suicide. Suicide is covered under the blood of the cross. See, part of the difficulty we have when we come to the statements that Jesus made is that Jesus didn't explain what he meant. He didn't tell us what he was meaning when he made these statements. And added to that, the rest of the New Testament writers, they didn't come back and say, oh, by the way, remember when Jesus said this? This is what he was meaning. They didn't come back and do that as well. This is something that we all need to grapple with and wrestle with and get clarity about because as we'll see today... There is a sin that is unforgivable, and we had better know what it is because it means that we can never be forgiven, and that sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go to three different sections of the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can follow along, beginning in Matthew 12. If not, grab your message notes out of your program, if you would. Let me show you what they look like. They look like this. And you can use these to follow along. All three sections of the Bible will be here that we're going to read today. And I decided to read all three times when Jesus made this statement to us so we could kind of wrestle with what it was that he said. So Matthew 12. And right, what has happened is, is that Jesus is healed. And right after that healing, that they was accused of doing it with the power, through the power of the devil. And this is what it says in Matthew 12. So I tell you, Jesus is speaking, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. You might underline that. Every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks, would you circle that word speaks? Because it'll come back, it'll make some sense later. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks, this is the speaks I want to just circle, sorry, speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Now, Luke chapter 12. Now, Luke chapter 12, Jesus is addressing, uh, in Matthew 12, he was addressing the religious rulers. In Luke 12, he's addressing the religious rulers as well about their hypocrisy. And he says this, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God angels. 
but anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks, circle it against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, Jesus is healed, and once again, he was said not to heal through the power of the devil or Satan, but he was said in this section that he was actually possessed by Satan is what the religious rulers said about him. And because of the possession of Satan, he was able to do these miracles. And then Jesus looked at them and said this, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Once again, notice that. All sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Underline that, never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he's possessed By an evil spirit. Okay. So as we read those, you can see that Jesus was really clear. He was really clear that there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. And the sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the sin that cannot be forgiven. He's saying that blasphemy can be forgiven. Sin can be forgiven. But there is this one sin that cannot be forgiven. Forgiven, and it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what we need to understand in order to be able to fully, I think, grasp the uh, impact of the statement is to know that when Jesus made these three statements, even though he was talking to his followers, he was primarily speaking to the religious rulers who were around on the outsides who were coming after him because of what he had done. Okay, that's his primary Audience. That's who he's speaking to mostly in these verses and the sections that he was saying. Addressing them concerning how they were missing out on what God was doing through the Holy Spirit in a new way in him. And they were missing out. So many of, by the way, many of the outrageous statements that Jesus made that we've looked at, they were direct attacks on the common religious teaching of the day. And he was challenging the way that, especially the religious leaders and rulers, but then everyone who followed them, he was challenging the way that they understood how a person was made acceptable to God. So he was challenging that with his statements. He was challenging the way that they thought God's spirit worked in the world. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said this about them, these rulers. The religious leaders practiced a gospel of sin management. That's what they did. It was a gospel of sin management. So folks, what I want us to understand and what Jesus was pointing out and what we need to hear today is that sin is not something that we can overcome by managing it. It's not something we can overcome by keeping certain rules. It's not something we can overcome by putting on our Sunday best. It's not something we overcome by practicing all the right behaviors. It's not something we can overcome by following the letter of the law. Sin is only overcome as God forgives us and cleanses us of unrighteousness. Now, the religious leaders that he was talking to, they had mastered the art of image management. They had mastered the the whole idea, the art of following the letter of the law. 
And yet they were some of the most greedy, judgmental, condescending, lacking compassion people that you would ever meet at the heart level. They were simply putting on as a hypocrite means, the word hypocrite means an actor. They were simply putting on a show that there was something different on the inside because they had put on something on the outside that made them look perfect, that they had also been changed on the inside. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. They were fakes. They were putting on something that was not real, pretending that it was real. They were pretending that they were something that they're not. So life in the kingdom of God, according to the religious rulers that Jesus was coming up and confronting in that day, life in this kingdom, according to them, was just an act. It was an act. And therefore, they remember we talked about this a lot. They set the rules and they you know, talked about how you would, would adhere to the rules. And they made sure that they always measured up and that no one else did. So they were able to maintain control over everyone else and their relationship with God. I'll just say this so you can hear me today. Nothing in religious observance can change our hearts alone. Nothing in religious service, observance. I mean, you can come here and you can sing and you can give and you can serve and you can talk to people and then you can walk out of here and your heart can be the same as when it came in. It's not what you do on the outside that changes you. It's what happens on the inside. So with that kind of you know, thinking about when Jesus is talking, I just want to give you the kind of framework so we can understand this. I want to give you the three interpretations of what Jesus meant when he made the common interpretations. There are more. Believe me, I found them this week. So here we go. Three of the common ones. First, it means this. People say it, it means to speak contempt against the Holy Spirit. That's why I had to circle the word speak. What people, some people believe and teach is that well, I, in order to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I have to literally talk against him because that's what it said there. He spoke in a certain way. He spoke against the Holy Spirit. So what it is is saying that there, at a certain point, you would be guilty of this if you have slandered God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, blasphemed them with your words. And if you've done that, you've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, that's taking these verses in their context, but out of context with the rest of the teaching of the Bible and also the rest of the teaching of Jesus Christ, my opinion, as we look at this. Because Jesus says, he says, it's not what comes out of the mouth that condemns someone. It's what? It's what is in the heart. It's what is in the heart that actually shows the true condition of a person. In other words, it's the, the real test is not what do you say, but what is on the inside. But the, what you say actually gives us a picture of what's in the heart. Now, I, you know, for one, as I was thinking about this, I, am, I, I rejected God. I rejected Jesus Christ. And when I was living way on the far side of reality, uh, away from him, uh, the only way that I could even get up in the morning and that I could function is that I had to deny the reality that I already knew about God and Jesus Christ. And I did it with my life and I did it with my words. Does that mean I couldn't be forgiven? 
No. No, because then that's blaspheming, but it's not blasphemy that's not forgivable. So it's, you got a key. got to understand the difference between those two. Jesus, just know that Jesus is not saying, so we can be clear about this, because some of you, you've slipped in the past. And in a moment of desperation or anger, you've cursed at God or the Holy Spirit. And so you've carried that believing that you've been condemned because of that. Just know that Jesus is not saying that you can accidentally or incidentally offend the Holy Spirit so much that you will not be able to be forgiven. Okay? So that's the first interpretation and I've told you why I think that's not accurate, okay? But there are many people who tell you that it is, and they've got their reasons why as well. Second is this. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit means to attribute the miracles of Jesus to God or Satan. And that's what was happening in two of the sections that I gave you there, is that they were saying that, one, that Jesus was Beelzebub, and that he couldn't have done these unless you know, Satan was working through him. And then the other one was that Jesus was actually possessed by demons, by Satan himself, and that was what gave him the power to do what he did. And so the sin here, according to this view, is labeling something that is holy as evil. So labeling something as holy as evil. Now, I think that that's a sin, but I don't believe that's the unpardonable sin that we're going to look at in these sections. The the religious leaders did this, and so they were definitely guilty of labeling something that was holy as evil, and they did that. And when they, um, when they were uh, accusing Jesus, they had to find some grounds for why they would say that he was not true and he would not be followed. So they just simply said he's possessed and he's full of demons. So the, the, the people, they recognize that Jesus is Messiah, but the religious leaders accused Jesus of performing his work through the power of Satan. Yeah, I'll just agree. That's blasphemy. I won't argue with that. But is accusing in this sec- in these sections, it, it, it's blasphemy to accuse Jesus Christ of being satanic. I want to get this straight, okay? Of being in the league with the devil, but it's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you why next. Let's look at this third one. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit means to continually resist the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus. Now, this one is based upon taking the principles of the words that Jesus was saying and then aligning it with the rest of the teaching of the New Testament that we know that Jesus taught and God inspired through the Holy Spirit. And to me, this seems to me the most likely meaning of what it was that Jesus was trying to say. So just make it straight, okay? So we just all clear. In my opinion... Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not a mistaken comment made carelessly or in frustration or anger at God. Rather, it's a persistent, intentional resistance of God's work of grace through Jesus. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is more than attributing the work of the Spirit to Satan. It's also resisting the work of the Spirit in my life. It's rejecting the conviction of sin in our lives that the Holy Spirit brings and then saying no to God's offer of forgiveness. Now, where do we get that? Well, when you look at the role of Holy Spirit 
and you just study the New Testament and you can learn of the role or the responsibilities of Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, you're going to learn that Holy Spirit has certain functions. And the primary leading edge function that Holy Spirit has in our world today, Jesus spoke himself in John 16. It's on the back side of your notes at the top. It says this. When he, he's been talking about the Holy Spirit in these verses. When he, Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin. So notice that. That's his responsibility. He will convict the world of his sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Refuses to believe in me. Jesus has just taught right here in these verses that when he's going to die, that he will be raised again, then he will ascend to be in heaven. And when that happens, that the Holy Spirit will come. The comforter, the counselor, the advocate will come. And that that comforter, that counselor, and that advocate would convict the world of sin. That's the prime, I'd say that's the primary role of Holy Spirit in our age is to convict the world of sin to show the world its need for forgiveness and for Jesus Christ. Now, it also says there that to show us God's righteousness. So it shows us our sin, Holy Spirit shows us our sin, and then it juxtaposes that next to God's righteousness. So when I see my sin, I can never excuse it uh, or make less of it or rationalize it Because it's always next to God's righteousness. So it's next to perfection. So as hard as I try to think that I can keep rules to be able to earn favor with God, as long as I think that I can be, as Jesus said, a hypocrite, as long as I think that it's okay to do this, I can't do this when I'm next to the righteousness of God. And this is why I think it's so important that we come to a church and we sing songs like we sing today as we're talking about the holiness and righteousness of God. Because when we do that, it's not just so that we will feel good. It's so that we're brought next to the closeness of righteousness. We're brought next to him. That's one of the wonders about singing in our church. We're brought next to the closeness of God. And the awesome thing about that, it's also difficult because then we see our own sinfulness the closer we get to righteousness. And then the last thing the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, does in those verses, lets us know that there's a coming judgment when we will be judged before the great white throne, the Bible says, and we will be judged by how we lived life, the choices we made, and specifically on our sin, on God's righteousness, and how we measure up to God's righteousness. And that's what he's saying here. That's what Jesus is getting across. And that's why it's so important that we understand what we're talking about in these verses. So then what I want to do is I'm going to give you my definition, okay? This is my definition based on all the work I've done on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So you want to write these in and it'll kind of help you to see where we're going for the last part of the message. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to stand, stand in a posture of defiant hostility. Defiant hostility, kind of like this picture. 
That's defiant hostility, right? Some of you are going, no, that's my child. <laughs> but it's to stand in a posture of defiant hostility against the Holy Spirit's revelation concerning Jesus as God's Son and our Savior. To stand in a posture of defiant hostility against the Holy Spirit's revelation concerning Jesus as God's Son and our Savior. And if I were writing this today, based on, because I wrote this on Thursday, and I've had a lot of time to think since Thursday to today, I would add and say, against the Holy Spirit's revelation concerning Jesus as God's Son and our Savior and his indictment of my sin. And his indictment of my sin. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, the only unpardonable sin is a stance of rebellion and hostility. Refusing in humility to admit my own sinfulness and then moving forward when I do by repenting and turning to God. I love this quote I found as one author was trying to kind of make sense of this. He says this, talking about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is not a one-time momentary slip or inadvertent mistake in judgment but a persistent, never-ending rebellion in the face of inescapable truth. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a careless act. It is a calloused attitude. It's not done out of ignorance. It is from defiance. It is not mere denial, but determined denial. Not mere rejection, but wanton, willful, wicked Wide-eyed rejection. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, according to Sam Storms. So here it is. The unpardonable sin is refusing to let God pardon you. It's refusing to let God pardon you. The only sin that God cannot forgive is rejection of Jesus Christ. And to reject him is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I think Paul was understanding this when he wrote Romans 2, verse 5. He says this. Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn away from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when I stand in defiance against the revelation that Jesus is God's son and my savior. And then I'm unwilling to admit my own sinfulness and repent of that. So, who can commit the unpardonable sin? 
Anybody, right? Anybody. Somebody just said that. Only those who have never responded to the Holy Spirit's message. That's the only one who could ever commit the unpardonable sin. So then, what are our options concerning this whole idea about blasphemy? There are two options. I'm going to list them for you. And I'm going to close in prayer right after that. Two options. First is this. Here's the first option. I can choose to refuse and reject forgiveness. I can choose to refuse and reject forgiveness. And this would be for every person who has never said yes to the love of Jesus Christ. Every person has the opportunity to refuse and reject forgiveness, the love of Christ. So for some of you today, this is where you are. Some of you today that you've been, Holy Spirit's been gnawing at you, talking to you about your sin and about God's righteousness and his holiness. And you have been refusing to say yes, yes that you have sinned, and yes that God is holy and righteous, and yes that you can do nothing about it. You've been refusing to say yes to his offer of forgiveness. And what I would say is that the more and the longer that you say no to forgiveness and to restoration and to understanding, the harder it's going to be for you to hear his voice. Harder it's going to be for you to hear his voice. But as long as you're living, you have opportunity to say yes to him. But I do want to warn I believe it gets harder and harder to discern the voice of the Spirit. Second option. Second option. I can choose to repent and receive forgiveness. I can choose to repent and receive forgiveness. So, same thing. This is for people who have never said yes to Jesus Christ. You can choose. That your second option, your first one is to resist, reject, Second option is to repent and receive. Repent and receive to the cleansing of Jesus Christ. Now, in Acts, during Peter's first message, he's talking to the religious leaders, the hypocrites, the one who were believing that they were okay because of how they lived. And he says this to them. Now, repent of your sins, and this would be for every person who's never said yes to Jesus, Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Wiped away. See, it's only in surrendering to the message of the Holy Spirit and his message is that Jesus is God's Son and our Savior and acknowledging to him that I have sinned and I can do nothing to gain his approval or right standing. It's only in doing that can I then move into a place of relationship with him a place where I can be healed. And this is the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the ministry of Jesus. Remember, he said, every kind of blasphemy, every kind of sin can be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say one thing before I close. That uh, there are those in the room and that you struggle 
in the past with whether or not you have committed the unforgivable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And many of the people I read this week, many of the scholars, that are, the people that are way smarter than me, they've caught it down to this, that if you believe that you have committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and it's causing you anxiety and it's causing you distress, you haven't. You haven't. That's a lie, a lie from the pit of hell, destined and designed to cause you to move away from Jesus and believe that he cannot forgive you for your past. And you need to be set free today because there's only one blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's refusing to say yes to the offer of forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Let's pray together. Well, God, I thank you for this message, and I just thank you for what it's done in me. And, and I just think today that it, 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 there's all kinds of layers to this talk today. Uh, one layer was really concerning people who have been rebelling against you and They've been turning their back against you, claiming that you don't exist in order to justify their lifestyle uh, or their choices to live in rebellion. They've not been willing to, they've, hear, they've been knowing that what Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, is that they have sinned and that you are righteous. And so, God, I want to pray for that person today that they would be willing today to do what the Bible said, to repent which means to say to God, God, I have sinned. And now, God, I realize what Jesus has made possible for me. So I'm going to turn away from this sin. And I'm going to turn to you. And now I'm going to receive your forgiveness. I want to know that I'm forgiven for the things I have done, for the condition of my heart. And Lord, I know that there are kind of another layer uh, would be those in this room who all of a sudden they're concerned for a loved one or a friend. And Lord, I, I know that Holy Spirit speaks and that ultimately you are the one responsible and that it's by your spirit, not by our might, not by our deeds. But God, will you show us how we can lovingly caringly have conversations with those we love? Would you show us how we can pray as we can just beat, beat on the gates of heaven that you would move in a way that our friends or our loved ones would acknowledge their sin? Because we realize that what Jesus said was to not acknowledge is the unforgivable sin and will lead to eternal separation in hell. And Lord, I pray that you would just allow us as a church to just not, now we're not confused. Now we can be clear. 
and that you won't allow all the questions that come in, the doubts to come in about our eternal standing with you, but we would know when we've said yes to Jesus that we've said yes to forgiveness and yes to cleansing. And Jesus, I thank you for these words and how they've challenged me and I hope the church as well. In your name we pray, amen.